Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name is Matt and this is being prepared for Sunday the 17th of December 2023. This is, this is our third Sunday in Advent. As we prepare our hearts, hear these words of scripture from Isaiah 30. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Well, this gracious Lord of Israel is the same gracious Lord we praise and worship. And let's do that now to begin our time. Oh, come, oh, ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come, ye, oh, come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. He in Christ the Lord. God of God, light of light eternal, though He abhors not the Let us adore him, oh come let 
Well, as we come to the ministry of God's word, now let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, please order this world in a way uh, that your justice and peace ring out. Please let us be people who hear you as you speak. Be working in us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin in the Old Testament with 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through to 17. Then our psalm for today is Psalm 89, verses 1 through to 8. And our New Testament passage, which I'll share with us from in just a moment, is Luke 1, 26 to 38. Luke 1, 26 to 38. Pause the video, have a read of those now, and then we'll rejoin in a moment. Well, as we come to think about God's word, let me pray again. Father, take this time to use and guide us by your spirit. Help us to see King Jesus in all his glory and appreciate him fully and live lives of humble service to him. Amen. Well, some announcements carry greater weight than others. Now, I heard this story once of a, uh, a plane that was leaving Brisbane as it took off. The captain got on the intercom and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Oh, we're now reaching our cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. It's a fine day. And so it looks like it'll be nice flying for us ahead in the next little little while. So please keep your seats back, relax, and oh my goodness! The plane give a little shudder left and right, and there was silence quiet for a moment. And after a little while, the captain came back on the radio and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry if I scared you just now. One of the stewardesses has just uh, spilt my coffee on my lap. You should see the front of my pants are an absolute mess. To which one of the um, those flying on the plane got up and shouted towards the cabin, You think the front of your pants are a mess? You should get a, you should get a look at the back of mine. All right? Some announcements carry more weight than others. Uh, and in Luke chapter 1, we get to be a fly on the wall and, and consider one of what is possibly the greatest announcements the world has ever heard. Now, we've been working towards this in the last few weeks in our Christmas series, our Advent series, Unbelievable Christmas. Now, if you missed it, you can you can jump online and watch those back the last two weeks, Isaiah 7 and 9. If you're new with us, if it's the first time watching, welcome. It's great that you are tuning in. Now, the last two weeks, we've been in Isaiah 7 and 9, and we've heard some big promises that lead to some big expectations for God's people living, this is now about 2,800 years ago. And today, from that point, we're about 800 years later at the start of Luke's biography of Jesus' life. And so we pick up at chapter 1 of Luke, verses 20, verse 26, and you can follow along with me. Well, here we read, Luke tells us, that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now, in one way, these opening few verses for us are really just setting the scene, and there's, there's nothing that appears overly significant about them. 
But if you have been with us over the last few weeks, I think there are four little details that should really jump off the page for us and fill us with expectation for whatever announcement this angel is about to bring, give to Mary next. Uh, firstly, the girl receiving this revelation from God, Mary, she's described here as a young virgin who, you might remember from Isaiah 7, a baby is promised to a virgin and that, that promised baby would be uh, part of a sign that God is with his people. Secondly here, we see that she's living in Galilee of the Gentiles, right? You might remember from chapter 9 Isaiah last week, a place that God said in the future he would bless. Thirdly, she's about to marry a descendant of David, which reminds us of God's great promises of a righteous king, the Prince of Peace, again, Isaiah 9. And then fourthly and finally, uh, this young girl, she's told at the end of verse 28 that the Lord is with you, which on reflection sounds a lot like the meaning of that promised child's name in Isaiah 7, Emmanuel, God with us. She's told here, the Lord is with you. And so for us, if we read this with a keen eye, I mean, we should be filled with expectation for whatever the angel is about to say. But in verse 28, we also read, uh, the angel says, Greetings to you who are highly favoured. And at this point, we might be left scratching our heads a little bit and wondering, what does it mean that Mary is highly favoured by God? Uh, because, right, this is a, a young peasant teenage girl of unknown heritage from some little backwater town. You might say that she's a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere with no means, right? And the point is, to say that she's highly favoured, it's not commenting on something about her or how her attributes or how great she is, but it's talking about God's character. God doesn't choose the noble, the proud or the self-sufficient. No, no. So often, God chooses to work through the poor, through the weak, through the humble. These are the people who God shows himself to time and time again. And then later on in Luke's biography of Jesus, we find him saying, we find Jesus himself saying in chapter 5, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. It's not the righteous that I've come for, but the sinners. Right? That is needy people, lowly people. People who realise their humble state before God. And so Christmas, Christmas is, it's not good news for the proud and self-sufficient, but it is good news for those who acknowledge our weakness before God, or if you like, our spiritual poverty before God. And so it should be a comfort for us to remember that God comes to us in the same way that he comes to Mary. It's completely undeserved on our part and in fact in spite of the way that we often treat him and so if for a moment we stop and and start to think that our relationship with God has anything to do with who we are and our achievements then we, we need to go back to God's word we need to reflect on them and what it says about us and so that we might leave here with a higher view not of ourselves but a higher view of God's grace and God's mercy Now, at verse 29, we notice that Mary, she doesn't actually get caught up in the scene, the moment, the angel, the experience. No, rather, she's reflecting 
on God's word, on God's message to her. Right, for Mary, it's not about the experience, it's about the word of God. And we see at verse 31, the content of God's message for her. Uh, The angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, uh, to be sure, there's nothing overly extraordinary going on here. She's about to be married, and so the fact that she's told you'll have a son, a boy, you'll give him uh, a name that has lots of meaning, but it's not uncommon, that name, Jesus. I mean, this is no real big deal, right? But at verse 32, the expectation for this child, it just soars. Verse 32, he, that's this son, the boy, Jesus, Jesus means uh, God saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary, she's told that her son would be a king. And not just any king, but the king that God promised to David a thousand years earlier than this, right? That was in our first Bible reading. But for most of us, I expect, uh, we don't really like the idea of having a king. I mean, we like the idea of us being king, sure. But kings, on the whole, well, they seem quite unimpressive and unpopular. Uh, when we think about Western kings, I mean, all they can really do is, they've got two party tricks, they can do ceremonial things, and they can mismanage their family, right? And we all know that quite. Uh, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so when it comes down to it, I mean, I, I like democracy. I'm not a big fan of monarchy. So how can God sending a king possibly be a good thing for me? Well, the difference is that this king, this child, he would be a king unlike any other. This wouldn't be another temporary and incompetent king. No, no. This would be, as you can see there in verse 33, one who reigns forever. And this king is truly good news for us because he is competent to do something about the real problems that we have in life. And more than that, competent to do something about the greatest problem that each of us have. The greatest problem we have is, it's actually our relationship with God, or in fact our lack thereof. And ironically, we have a relationship problem with God because we don't like kings. Because we don't like the idea of having someone who's over us. The sin of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, it's actually a sin that we share in. We don't, we, well, we like it when we're in charge, when we get to make the rules, when we're king of our own lives. We don't like it when someone else, when someone else is in charge. And even if that's God, even if it's the Lord of the universe, the one who has the right to tell us what to do, we don't like it. Instead, we'd like to, to do our own thing. And well, what does it look like then? What does it look like to push God off as king? Well, Perhaps for some it means saying, God, I don't want you in my life at all. For others, perhaps it means simply living and acting in a way that sometimes just pretends like he's not there really at all. We just ignore him. And actually, both of these are equally as bad. Because 
in both responses, we're stripping God, the God of the universe, the God of infinite dignity, we're stripping him of the honor and place that he deserves. And this is ultimately the problem that each one of us have. Because living in that kind of way, living in a way that either rejects God or just ignores him, it incurs a debt of our lives that we can't afford to pay. And that is why God promising the arrival of his king, his forever king, is such great news. Because this is a competent king. One who can fix our problem. Only he, only Jesus, is competent to deal with that sin problem we have. And you might ask, well, how do we know he's competent to deal with it? And the answer is in verse 32. The angel tells Mary that he, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, the Most High, that's a title in the Old Testament that's reserved for God himself. This child, Jesus, born at Christmas, born in a little, in a nowhere place. He isn't just anyone. This is the Son of God himself coming to earth to dwell with people he created. And this is why in his life and death, he is competent to fix the debt that we owe towards God. The debt that comes from, from robbing God of his dignity. And he doesn't just fix things temporarily either. No, no. He's able to set things right forever. Now, so often when I read uh, books to my children, uh, all their kids' books, they have two really predictable words that they finish on. And you, you'll know what these, what these words are. They finish with the end. But with King Jesus, we never meet those words. Instead, we're met with the words at the end of verse 33. You see it there. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. In our lives, we go through seasons and we know that even when things are good, we don't get our hopes up because it won't last. But it's different with Jesus. And Jesus will never cease being the king. And so right now, he's still king. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven where he reigns. And one day, he'll return to make all things right. He'll return to bring about his new creation. A time when there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more evil, no more rejection of God. But instead, a blessed inheritance for those of us who stop trusting in ourselves, who take the crown off our own heads, and give it to Jesus, trusting in his death in our place. Now with the scope of this promise, right, can you imagine what this little teenage girl Mary is feeling? A nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere with no means. Now it seems that when we get to verse 34 that uh, Mary now understands this as not something kind of a natural thing, not something for you know future Mary to worry about but something God is going to do really soon. And so, as the angel says this to her, she rightly kind of asks back, verse 34, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the answer she's given in verse 35 is that, well, because God. Because God. Right? This child wouldn't be conceived by natural means. If this kid's watching... Ask your parents, not by natural means, but by the power of God's Spirit. 
Now, at this point, uh, many people will be a bit skeptical and they'll dismiss the whole Christian story because it seems like the Bible is just full of goat herders who believe in any kind of miracle, right? But miracles like this, virgin birth, they don't happen. But within the Bible, right, there are people who found uh, these kind of things, like ideas like the virgin birth, just as hard to accept as it might be for us. And it shouldn't surprise us that the person who found this most hard to accept was the person Mary was engaged to, her fiancé, Joseph. And so if, if we're in Matthew's gospel account of Jesus' life now, uh, Matthew tells us that Joseph responded in the, in the way that we would expect. He thought that Mary, well, was unfaithful, we'll put it gently. He thought she was unfaithful. He planned to dump her. Until Mary's claim was confirmed to Joseph by an angel in a similar means. She is not lying. She is telling the truth. This is a virgin birth. Now, the emphasis on the virgin birth here, like in creation, is that God is doing something new. That God is reaching into time and space and creating life where there wasn't before. Now, it's not that the Son, the Son of God, didn't exist before his, his incarnation here, before he was in Mary's womb, but that at this moment, the eternal Son of God is taking on human form, human flesh. The human nature and the divine nature come together in the person of Jesus. One person, fully God, and yet at the same time, fully human and who would be a descendant of David because he's accepted as uh, the legal son then of Mary's husband, Joseph. Now, hearing this, uh, perhaps Mary's question in verse 34 might still be the question for her, or for us, the one we're still asking, but how? How can this be? And so the angel gives her, if you like, a sign, a proof that, that God can do this. Something that scientifically shouldn't be possible. He says, hey Mary, you know your cousin Elizabeth, the one who's barren all through life, couldn't have kids, the one who's an old lady now. She, even she, is six months pregnant. Go chat to her, go see. And if, if, we, if we read, if we keep reading from this section just afterwards, we see Mary does do that. And what do we find? We find Elizabeth, the old lady, childless, barren, but six months pregnant. And here's the point. In fact, the angel makes the point for us in verse 37. The angel tells, tells her that both these things are true. Both these women who are, they'll have a child in impossible circumstances because no word of God will fail, he says. Verse 37, no word of God will fail. Or we might put it simply, nothing is impossible for God. Right, the virgin birth. The angel here is emphasizing in this moment that it's God's power to do the unbelievable, but in fact more than that, to do the impossible. The impossible which then becomes unbelievably great news for us as Jesus then grows up, as he shows himself to be God's competent king who would take away my sin, letting himself be then nailed to a wooden cross to take on God's wrath that my sin, my rejection of God, rightly deserves. 
And it all starts with the announcement of this virgin birth. And hey, in fact, any barriers to believing in the virgin birth of Jesus at the start of the Gospels, those barriers are taken away by, well, what I'd say is a, a, the strong historical evidence for another miracle at the end of the Gospels. A miracle that changes everything. And that is the resurrection of Jesus out of the dead. Where God confirms him to be his forever king. A king who's competent to deal with our sin problem. A king who's competent to bring everlasting peace for us. One in whom we find forgiveness and peace with God both now and into eternity. And so the challenge for us this Christmas is, will we not only have faith in Jesus as our saviour who died for us, but will we also receive him as our forever king? Will we respond to the words of God with humility like, like Mary does in verse 38, rather than with pride? Will we respond by saying, I am the Lord's servant. I'm not my own king anymore. I'm not king. That's Jesus. I am the Lord's servant. That's the challenge. And so will you pray with me now that we would not just know in our heads that Jesus should be king of our lives, but that we would actually let him be king in our hearts as he guides our desires and king over our actions as we seek to live transformed lives in response to knowing his undeserved grace that's at work in us. Will you pray that with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, that we have it, that we can ponder it, that we can meditate on it. God, let it be uh, an ever-timely word for us, a word that we receive, a word that we seek to uh, trust. Father, as we see Jesus born at Christmas, the, the forever King you're sending, uh, the fulfillment of your promises throughout history, May we be people who are captivated by that. May we be people who see Jesus not as a get-out-of-jail card, only as a saviour, but as our king who knows what's best for us, a king who guides us, a king to rule us in our lives, in all goodness and grace and peace. Father, give us soft hearts that we would let all of our lives be part of our sacrifice of service to you, trusting in the one who died for us. Amen. Well, we go now to another time of praise. Did you know this little one set the stars and lit the sun? you hold is the Lord from ages old Mary can you see the light shining in the dark of night sing out in praise the joy of all the earth sing out in praise the joy of
angels' song. Glory, glory to our God. Shepherds, put away your fear. Christ the Lord, your Savior's here. Leave your flocks and go and now pause for a time of prayer Uh, pause the video uh, spend some time praying over this Christmas season that we would be people who are a light in our community a light to our family our friends and that many people would know the love of Jesus King Jesus this Christmas time Uh, after we've prayed we'll have another time of praise and then I'll wrap us up at the end
His birth was long foretold, a baby born to swallow death. O oh, Bethlehem, a prophet told, from your streets will rise the ruler of all
as we finish, let me encourage you with the words at the end of Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our friends, let's keep listening to what God says to us in his word. Let's keep upholding him as the King and Lord of our lives. Go in peace. I will see you next week for Christmas.